Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with everyone. Glad we have uh, several that are visiting from out of town and also uh, looks like maybe a couple that are visiting that are maybe from the community. It's, uh, it's good to be with you all. Thankful that we've been able to praise God together and worship Him. Uh, it's also good to have Marlon back and uh, I'm hopeful that everything's still going well with the baby and everything like that. Yeah, all right, good, good. <laughs> Seems like a great baby. All right, good. That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. You you look like Camille, but I knew you weren't Camille. So um, at first, I was hopeful. I was like, oh, maybe maybe the baby's here. Maybe Camille and baby are here. But a little too soon for that, I, I would guess. Um, but we've been praying for you all, and we're we're really thankful that things are still going well. Um, really appreciate Kelly's words uh, earlier, uh, specifically about the the brethren in Zimbabwe and the efforts there. Um, it's important for us to keep in mind the things that are going on in other places. Uh, we, we know we struggle at times, but the struggle there and struggle other places is, is just very different. So I, I know that for me, my prayers shouldn't always be focused on my situation. The Lord wants us obviously to pray to Him, to praise Him, to thank Him, but to be mindful of other people. So that reminder is very helpful for me, and I appreciate that. I know our reading was from Acts chapter 4. We're not going to be in Acts chapter 4 at all. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. And we're going to look at a few other passages in Exodus. In Acts 4, you have Peter and John, possibly some others that are apostles, but specifically it mentions Peter and John before a council, before some the Jewish council. Um, they were there in front of some Sadducees and some uh, some other leaders and, and, and priests and everything. And what they are told to do is stop preaching this message of Jesus. Stop talking about this. And the Sadducees, of course, they hate the idea of him saying that Jesus was raised from the dead. And their whole thing is stop talking about that. We, we, we charge you strictly to stop that because they realize we can't say that this was not from God because you have this man that's been healed that everybody knows he was at least 40 years old. And so they know that he's, he was born this way and they healed him. They healed this lame beggar. So they can't deny that it's from God, but what they could do is say, stop talking about Jesus. And what Peter and John respond with is, no. Whether it's right in your eyes to, to fear you, this is not their exact words, but whether it's right in your eyes to, to do what you would have us to do or do what God would have us to do, you judge that. What the, the council is wanting them to do is fear them. Fear the council. And what Peter and John respond with is, no, we're going to fear God. And there are other times in Acts that we can see that happen, where there's a threat, and they, there's even physical threats. Uh, I can think of another time where they were uh, beaten and sent on their way, and they went, went away rejoicing, right? And the reason is because they feared the Lord. They didn't fear these men. I think that's important for us to, to, to think about and to spend some time discussing today. So we're going to look at Exodus, and I want us to, to take a look at the different ways that people can, different people that uh, these individuals are fearing and how that affects their decisions and the things that they do. And the main message that I want us to just make sure we understand is we need to fear God rather than men. And I don't just mean because of threats or persecution. Just in our daily life, we need to fear God rather than men. And part of that is even fearing God rather than ourselves. And when I say fear, it's a respect it's um, an adherence to what they have to say, that, that God's voice is more meaningful, more powerful than my own voice and the voice of anybody else, any other man. 
Let's go ahead and read in Exodus chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Excuse me, verse, verse 8, not verse 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So here we have this Pharaoh, this Pharaoh that arose that did not know Joseph and therefore did not respect Joseph or the God of Joseph. If you think back to Genesis when Joseph was still alive, this Pharaoh that was around respected Joseph and respected his God so much that he let Joseph go along with a lot of possessions and even a lot of Egyptians to, to actually take Jacob's bones back to where he wanted to be buried. And he let them go as a caravan on who knows how long of a journey. It couldn't just be a couple of days. It had to be weeks, if not months, potentially, with all the people. I think, if I remember correctly, there was... There was at least 70 people just of Jacob's family that's going to go. And maybe that was including the, uh, the, um, the Egyptians as well. But regardless, you have all, this people that, all these people that are going over to, to bury uh, Jacob. A man that Pharaoh had been around just maybe a couple of times. And really, maybe Pharaoh never, never even met Jacob. I'm not sure if he, if he like had interaction with him. But he respected Joseph and Jehovah God that much. Granted, he might have respected Joseph because of the benefit that there was to respecting Joseph and his God. Because Joseph said there's going to be some hard years of famine and then there's going to be years of plenty. You need to store up right now so that you're ready for these, for these years of famine. So they do that. And then they're able to benefit. And not just benefit as in they stay alive, but all people from all over coming to Egypt to get grain, to, to be able to eat and live and survive. And so they're benefiting in a way that causes their nation and their people to grow and grow and be so powerful. All of that because he listened to Joseph. All of that because God, the, the God of Joseph was the true God, but he didn't really see him as the true God. He was just, he's a powerful God. But now a Pharaoh arises that doesn't respect, that doesn't listen to that, doesn't really care, doesn't know Joseph, and therefore doesn't know the God of Joseph. So how does he treat the people of Israel? Well, it says he treats them harshly. It says that he, he causes them to be slaves. He, causes, he afflicts them with heavy burdens. Well, well, what led him to do that? It wasn't some sort of racist mentality necessarily that did that. If you look at what he says in verse 9, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. He's scared. He's scared of them. There's too many of them. They're strong. And they're strong in number. And if, and if our enemies want to come up against us, these people are going to get together with them and they're going to take over. That's what led him was fear. Fear of these people. So he says we're going to deal, deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. So his idea is in order to stop them from getting bigger, we're going to treat them harshly. But what happens? 
Well, the harsher they are, the more Israel grows. The more they grow, the more scared Pharaoh gets. And if you look at verse 12, it says that the more they were pressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Now, I don't know if the Egyptians were always fearful of these people. We know Pharaoh was. So Pharaoh is in dread. This man that sees himself like a god is in dread of these people because of how mighty they are and how many they are. It is a threat to his throne. It's a threat to his way of life. It's a threat to his own image. So he decides that, well, well what we're going to do is we're going to make them work even harder. We're going to cause their, their life to be even worse for them. So that's what they do. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. But then as we skip down, what we're going to wind up seeing, and maybe many, if not all of you know the story, we're going to see that he has a scheme. And his scheme is that we're going to kill the, the, the males that are born to these Hebrews, to these Israelites. And that's what a fear of the people, a fear of man led him to do. It led him to look past all indications and all signs that this was the wrong decision and just keep on going with the, the wrong decision to the point where he was willing to kill babies. And I think what we're seeing here is that when we fear people and we fear a threat to our own image, our own self, we make terrible decisions. We look at people a certain way and we act towards them in an awful way. We're very selfish. We're prideful. We're arrogant. We don't see that our decisions are bringing about the opposite reaction that we wanted. Pharaoh wanted them to stop growing. They kept growing the harsher they were with them. The lesson should have been stop treating them harshly. <laughs> stop being shrewd with them. Stop being so mean to them. That's not going to stop them from growing altogether. But if, they're, if it's having a negative reaction, why would you keep going with that? What do you think is going to happen when you decide to kill the male babies? Well, it's not going to turn out okay. It hasn't worked so far. So let's go on and let's read verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shephira and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So this is how it plays out as far as this Pharaoh fearing people rather than God, fearing a threat to his image rather than turning to God and fearing God. But if you notice here, we have some other people that they do fear God. You have these midwives. Now it says that they're Hebrew midwives. You could take that one of two ways. Either they were Hebrews that were midwives to the Hebrews, or it's possible that they were Egyptians that were the midwives to the Hebrews. 
chances are they are Hebrew women that are midwives to the Hebrew people, the Hebrew mothers giving uh, women giving birth. Regardless, what we see is that they feared God in verse seventeen and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded. When we fear God, we reject what other people say that goes against what God would have us to do. When we fear God, we don't listen to that. When we fear God, we answer honestly, though. Now, if you look at how they answered, it's possible that they were telling the truth, that maybe the Hebrew women were more vigorous in their childbirth, which I don't really know what that means uh, for sure. That's an interesting word to use. But I think that the, the, the outcome that they're trying to say is happening is that the women are giving birth faster than our Egyptian women are. And so they're get, doing that before we can get there. Maybe some of that was true. Regardless, though, what was leading them was fearing God. When we fear God, what we wind up doing is we do things that please him, and we do things that are good for his people. Now, let's say that these were Hebrew women. They're looking out for their own people, knowing that God is with them, not just looking out for their own people only. Remember, Pharaoh's looking out for his own people, not concerned about God. These women are looking out for their own people because they're the people of God. And it says that God deals well with them and blesses them because they fear God. It even says that he blesses them with their own families. Now, I, I do want to throw out this caveat. This is pre-law. This is pre Old and New Covenant. So this isn't a lesson to say, whatever you got to do, lie, do whatever you got to do just to say that I'm fearing God. That's not how this works. We, we, have, we are under the law of Christ. We have teachings in the New Testament that would tell us how we should live and what we should and should not do. But the lesson I think that we get from these women is that you fear God no matter what anybody says. And you look out for God's purpose and his plan and his people, regardless of what threat is right in front of you. This is Pharaoh. This is Pharaoh asking this. Why did you not do what I told you to do? Now, their answer may or may not have been totally truthful. Regardless, they answered in a way that was showing their fear of the Lord and not their fear of Pharaoh. I think if, if... what they were doing when they answered this is totally showing a fear of Pharaoh as well. I don't think we would, sh- we would see God be with them and, and bless them in this way. I think we would see them meet a terrible end. They were led by fear of God, not a fear of man. And not a fear of what might happen to themselves. Well, as the story goes on in chapter 2, you have a birth of, of Moses. And... Um, it's an interesting situation where you have this woman who places her child among the reeds at, by the riverbank. Uh, and what well, we don't know his name is Moses yet, but his name winds up being Moses. Moses' sister stands at a distance to see what's going to happen because it gets to a point where she can't hide him any longer. Okay, So fast forwarding a little bit, the daughter of Pharaoh, one of his daughters, finds this baby in the reeds. And decides that she wants to provide and take care of this baby. She knows this is a Hebrew baby. I don't know why she decided not to just kill the baby. I guess once you're actually in front of a little child. Well, actually, now that I think about it, maybe it's because if you're going strictly by what Pharaoh said, this baby had been born a while back. So you don't have to kill the baby now because he's already past the point of like, you know, a couple days old or something like that. So 
maybe even she's not totally fearing the message of, of her father and Pharaoh. But regardless, what we're really seeing here is the hand of God taking care of this, making sure that Moses is provided for. Moses' sister sees that Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the weeds in, in the reeds and says, do you want me to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child? So who does she go get? Well, she goes gets her, her mom, Moses' mother. And so that's how this plays out. I want to pick up and read in verse 11 through 15 of chapter 2. Moses grows up. Then he's turned back over to Pharaoh's daughter. So he is brought up in the household of, of Pharaoh. But he's a Hebrew. Everybody knows he's a Hebrew. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why did you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. I don't have a problem with Moses running away once Pharaoh finds out. Maybe you can call that fear of Pharaoh, but he's not the only person that's ever run away from a threat like that. Uh, we even see David flee Saul. Was that against the word of God? Well, no, God hadn't said not to do that. He was, he was obviously trying to stay alive. Those kinds of things, we see how they play out, and we see it plays out in the, in the plan of God. What I do want to focus on is the fact that it, it's possible that Moses is actually fearing people here and not man. What led to him striking down this Egyptian? You could say it was his love and care for his own people. He, he was fearing God in that, just like those midwives, looking out for God's people. But if you see how he reacts when he's questioned about it, he's afraid. He's afraid of the matter being known. I don't think Moses is fearing God here. I think he's looking out for his people. He's motivated, motivated by what he sees and the injustice on his people, which... Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't look at this and want to act and do something? So he strikes him down and he kills the Egyptian. But I don't think he acted like those Hebrew midwives. I think he was acting a little bit of out of out of his own motive, out of his own motivation, not fearing the Lord. And we see that play out. So he runs away and he hides. He goes to Midian. But then let's fast forward to chapter three. And let's read the first six verses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. If we were to take the first interaction with Moses killing the Egyptian as him Maybe we wouldn't say fearing man, but he, it's not, he's not acting out of a fear of the Lord. 
what we see here is he is acting out of fear of God. God appears to him and he calls out to him and he understands that this is the Lord. If, if nothing else, he understands this is a God. But when God reveals himself as the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is in fear. He hides his face from him. Now, this is not a fear that, that we should take lightly. This is not a fear that we should think is, oh no, God is going to judge me for, I don't, I don't know if that's what Moses is thinking. God's going to judge me for what I've done. I take this as just being a healthy respect and fear for being in the presence of God. And he's never been in the presence of God before. I think a lesson we can take from that, this is that fearing man can turn to fearing God. If we have the right understanding of who God is, and if we understand his power and his ability. Moses goes from fearing man to fearing God, I think, in, in, within this uh, chapter here. So, so far, just to recap, we see that fearing God leads to looking out for his own interests, looking out for his own people. But fearing man leads us to act in ways that really are indescribable. They, they, we don't, there's no reasoning behind it. And when things get worse for us, we continue to, to act in a way that doesn't make any sense. And things get even worse for us. That's what happened with Pharaoh. And then with Moses, we see that maybe that he wasn't truly fearing God, truly looking to the Lord. But then when the Lord reveals himself to him, he respects him. He takes his sandals off. He hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. So I think we have to look at ourselves and, and just consider where we fall in the spectrum. Do we fear man and the effects that man can have on our life? Do we fear ourselves not being in control, which is what Pharaoh kind of had. He had, a, he had a God-like image of himself and the people did too. Do we fear that being torn down or do we fear the Lord? And what does our fear of the Lord lead us to do? Or what does the fear of man lead us to do? I want to fast forward a little bit to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. I don't remember exactly how many times. I think that fear is actually used 20 to 22 times in the book of Exodus, which is not as many times as it is in Genesis, but it's still quite a bit for a story that is about the people being led out of, ex out, out of Egypt, you know, and, and going into to the land. And the funny thing is that throughout, and maybe there's another word that in the Hebrew that is similar to fear that just didn't show up, but throughout all of this interaction where you have the, uh, the plagues, fear isn't really used there, which if I was Pharaoh and the people, I'd be very fearful. But that's not really where fear comes up again. Fear comes up again in Exodus 14. Let's go down to chapter 14, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw, that the, saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. 
So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. When we think about ourselves, I think it's important to point out that fearing the Lord is the beginning of being a believer. That's what happens with the Israelites here. I would say that we don't know the level of their faith up to this point. They're going along with what Moses says. They seem to have some confidence and belief in that. But this moment where they're saved, where they have walked through the sea, not through the sea, but walked through on dry ground with the sea on their right and on the left hand, and they see after they get through it that all of a sudden here's the Egyptians coming and there comes the, there comes the water crushing them, killing them all. It says that they feared the Lord because of that. And it said that they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. If we fear the Lord, then we will believe in him. If we see ourselves not truly believing and not truly acting like a believer, maybe we need to dial it back and think, do I really have the fear and the respect of the Lord that I should have? Do I have the same reaction that Moses has, where I see that being in the presence of God is just it's beyond comprehension to where I would hide my face, to where if he says, take off your sandals, I would take off my sandals knowing this is holy ground. Or do I have more of a casual approach to being in the presence of God? And obviously it's different for us. We're, we, there's not a burning bush. I mean, I will say that if that started, if that was on fire but not being consumed, that little podium, that would, that would freak me out a little bit. But I don't expect that to happen. In, in my mind, when I think of just being a child of God and being in his presence, living under his oversight, do I have the same reaction of Moses where I, I'm willing to do whatever? I'm willing to, to live in a way and to act in a way that shows my respect to him? Or is it just very casual? I have God with me at all times. I have God even when I'm sitting, God's with me. Well, no, that's not, that's not living with the fear of the Lord. That's living as if it's just a, a, a thing to say, well, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. God's with me no matter what. Well, that's just not true. The Lord sees it, but why would I think that God's going to be with me even when I'm not living in fear of him and respect for him? I can't assume that. That's just not true. So just want to ask a couple of questions about, based on the things that we've read in Exodus so far. What does fearing God lead us to do? It leads us to listen to God and no other power. I don't care if it's a parent, a government, or what it is. We listen to God first. That doesn't mean we don't have respect for parents or governments. There's teaching in the New Testament about that. There's teaching in the Old Testament about that. But we listen to God first. It leads us to act as God would have us to, not what seems comfortable for us, not what seems like we think it's going to work out best for us. We, we act as God would have us to act. It leads us to answer for our actions without fear. Just as a side note, it also leads us to, to answer honestly, which is a little bit opposed potentially to how some people, we, we've been studying some characters in the Old Testament, Abraham and others that may, it doesn't, well, we know that they, I almost said may or may not have lied. They did lie, and it doesn't seem like it was totally a fear of the Lord. But you know what a fear of the Lord does? We answer and according to New Testament passages like Ephesians 4, we don't lie. We're not, we, we answer with a fear of the Lord that, that is honestly. And it leads us to look out for the best interest of God's people and his purpose, not for ourselves. Not our own interest, not my career growth, not my 
goals, you know, whatever the goal is, I look out for God's purpose and for God's people. So some situations today, maybe at my job, maybe my boss wants me to lie, or I know it would benefit myself to lie and be deceptive. You need to fear the Lord. Don't, don't look out for your own interest. And you need to fear the Lord and don't fear your boss. Maybe your family wants to do something or they approve of something that's not pleasing to God. Well, you fear the Lord. You fear God first. Maybe, we, maybe you study God's word and you realize that you've believed something different from what you thought was right. And it goes against what's comfortable. It goes against what your family believes. It goes against what your church believes. And it changes your whole view of things. Well, if you have the fear of God the way you need to, then you'll be okay with that. You'll go along with that change. Because you realize that it's not about what you used to believe. It's not about what other people think. It's about what God says. And really what we're starting, what we, I think, see is that fearing God truly ruins our godlike image of self. Not only does it cause me to view other people differently, it causes me to look at myself differently. So what can, that's what, those are some situations for today. And there, there are a lot of others that you can probably think of. And we talked about what fearing God will lead to, but what can come from fearing God? What can, what can happen around us? Well, God's people spread in the midst of persecution. We see that in Exodus. We see that in Acts. And I think we can see that today. If we fear the Lord and the Lord alone, then there will be a spread of God's people. I don't mean scattering. I mean a spreading of the gospel, just to, to clarify. It will lead us to better decisions from a clear thinking instead of being confused and scared about the repercussions of what's going to happen in this life. It's going to lead to a true belief and a commitment, just like we see that the Israelites have. We, we know the story of Israel. It shows itself that countless times they stop believing, they stop having faith in God, they stop fearing the Lord, and they fear the nation around them. They fear going into the land. They fear so many things. But if you look at just what happens right after they cross the sea, they believe in the Lord. That's what will happen for us if we fear God. We'll have true belief and commitment. And if you think about what was a point of reference for the people of Israel to look back on, to say, that's, that's what we need to go back to. It was this moment. It was after they crossed the Red Sea. It was, the, it was God showing them that he was their God, that he has this power to do this. They thought back to this to reinforce their commitment to God. So we need to think back to, to the moment of, of our salvation and think, that's how I need to be committed to God. That's what God can do with me. He can save me. He can bring me from the brink of death, lost in my sin, to being alive, to having eternal life. And another thing that can come from the fear of God is that God can work great things through us and bring others to revere God. I want to go to one other passage in Exodus before we close. Exodus 34. Exodus 34, and we're just going to read a couple of verses here. So the people of Israel have already, well not the people of Israel, the Israelites. I don't know when they become the people of Israel. I guess they have to go into the land, but they're from Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So anyway, the Israelites, they've already wavered in their faith, and Moses has become frustrated and mad about that. But here we have the covenant that is being restored or renewed. And in verse 10, he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels. And this is God speaking to Moses. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. 
And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. When he says an awesome thing, that word is actually the same as a fearful thing, which I think is very interesting. And I think it it is the appropriate way for us to look at what God can accomplish through us. What God can accomplish through us if we will be committed to him, if we will will pursue him. And if you go on to read, really uh, up until verse 28, what, what God is saying is this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to live. And he has these ordinances. He has these things he wants them to do as far as sacrifices, all of this. And this is obviously not the full um, command. This is not the full testament or all the commandments. But there are, there are a lot of things here that he said, this is the summary, basically, of what you're going to do as my people. And what that's going to cause is an awesome thing that people are going to look at. Now, that might be a fearful thing, but it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a thing that caused them to look at these people and look at God and recognize there's something special about that God. And I think about ourselves. And I think that if we have the same commitment that we see the Peter and John had in Acts 4, if we have the same commitment that at times we see the Israelites have to the Lord, fearing him and living as he would have us to do, it'll be an awesome thing that, that he can work through us. Or people look at that. Now, That's not to say it would always be positive reactions. One of the passages that came to my mind was in John 3, where Jesus says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. As people of God today, if we live our lives a certain way, we are living in the light. We are shining the light. The darkness hates that because it exposes their darkness. It exposes their deeds. That doesn't mean that they run away. Sometimes their reaction is a fearful thing and they will take it out on us though. Maybe we haven't experienced that to the fullest, but people of Zimbabwe have, people in China have, people all over the Middle East have, and it might happen to us as well. But regardless, the way that God sees this as it's, it's an awesome thing that he's accomplishing. And it's an awesome thing because people are fearing him and pursuing him and worried about his cause rather than their own. And the effect it has on some, and it might be just a few, the effect it has on some is they might turn. They might turn to the Lord. And we, didn't, we don't see that happen a lot throughout the book of Exodus, but we know that it does happen some. People can turn and they can fear the Lord as well. Today, God will accomplish awesome, fearful things with his people, and it can cause and should cause a reverence in people that that will fear the Lord from that. We're not trying to drive people out like they were, though. What what he goes on to say in Exodus 34 is, you're going to go into Canaan, you're going to drive out all these people. So obviously, it's going to be a fearful thing. They're going to run away. What we're trying to do is actually draw people in. And he says in Exodus 34 that you're going to be conquerors. You're going to drive them out and be conquerors. And our mission is that we draw people in and show them how they can be conquerors. Again, they might have a negative reaction from some, which is why I think it it can be viewed as a terrible thing that he's accomplishing through us. But for those that that believe in it, for those that that see this, this as being the thing that they want to partake in as well, it'll truly be an awesome thing. 
And just a little bit different way of viewing that word there in Exodus 34. So I guess our question that I just want to leave you with is, are you fearing God or fearing man? Part of fearing man is fearing a threat to your own image, to your own thoughts, to your own beliefs. If we fear the Lord, it will do, it will, he will make sure that it goes well with us. He will deal well with us, just like he did those Hebrew midwives. Now, that doesn't mean that we're blessed with families in this life necessarily, but what it does mean is that we will be blessed eternally. And that's all that matters. If we fear the Lord, then we can partake in salvation and we can truly believe in him. And we can be, can be committed to him, and we should be. But if we don't fear the Lord, then we're not, we're not seeing salvation as a thing that is very meaningful to us. It's not impactful to us. And therefore, we're not going to believe in him. And in today's environment, what God really needs are people that live in a fear of him. And, and what I mean by that is not as Moses hid his face, and sometimes we think of that being a cowering thing, but as people that respect God, that if, if God did come, we would, we, would, we would hide our face before him. But as we go out in the world, that we see this as being God's trying to accomplish an awesome thing through us if we just fear him. So what that means is that we need to make sure that our interactions with people shine that and reflect that, that idea and reflect a life of someone that is living in fear of God. But what it also means is that we need to take a look at our lives and think, am I sure that I'm living this way that God would have me to live? And if not, it's not a fearful thing that we run away in dread. It's a thing where God wants us to draw closer to him. So whatever your situation is this morning, whether you are a Christian already or not, that's something that, if that's something you want to discuss and, and talk about, then I know I'd be glad to talk with you, and there are several others that would, that would love to talk to you about that. Or maybe if you take a look at your life and you think, you know, I really haven't been living with a fear of the Lord. I've been living with a fear of, of, of man. Well, I encourage you to, to change that, to draw near to God to seek help from that so that you have your life in the proper perspective. But for all of us, let's make sure we know what God wants to accomplish through us. He wants to accomplish an, an awesome and yet terrible thing through us. And if we will be who he wants us to be, it will lead to salvation of many, not just ourselves. We're going to sing a song that is a song of encouragement. Uh, I did notice one thing just by way of invitation in the song we just uh, saying a, a few moments ago in the song of into our hands he says souls that are precious souls that are dying while we rejoice our sins are forgiven did he not also die for these lost ones then let us point the way unto heaven that's what we need to be as Christians we are partaking of salvation and we need to make sure that we point the way for others to go if you have a response to, to the Lord's gospel, to the message of Jesus, or if you need prayers from this group, won't you let us know as we stand and as we sing.